world is becoming more unglued by the day. Local consequences are now showing up. We are seeing sky-high gas prices, higher food prices, shortages, and more. How should you respond? Go to redpills.tv slash patriot. That's R-E-D-P-I-L-L-S dot TV slash patriot. And secure your long-term emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is by far the largest preparedness company in America. They're in stock and shipping quickly in unmarked boxes to your door. Their emergency food supplies last up to 25 years in storage. When you need it, it'll be there. Lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks totaling over 2,000 calories a day. Get free shipping on any order over $99. Again, go to redpills.tv slash patreon. journey of conversations on the fringe can't say it right it's okay <laughs> gotcha well good morning good evening good afternoon wherever you're in the world my name is josh that is sarah my guest for tonight this is the red pill projects conversations on the fringe this is where we talk about the weird the wacky the unusual those things that are outside of the ordinary those things that don't usually come up in normal conversation but need to be talked about and tonight we're going to have a fantastic conversation we're going to be talking about everything from quantum healing. We're going to be talking about Atlantis, past lives, life between lives. We're going to be talking about energy and connectivity and consciousness. And I, I just, I'm excited. I've been waiting for this one for a long time. I saw this young lady here on another podcast uh, that someone wanted me to have the podcaster on this show. And I said, no, no, I want to have his guest on my show. And so I reached out to her and it was kind of serendipitous. Marla, uh, a friend and a client of hers, was like telling her about my show at the same time that I reached out to her and it just all worked out. We got her schedule. Sarah Bresman Cosme is the best-selling author of A Hypnotist Journey to Atlantis and the author of The Hypnotist Journey to the Secrets of the Sphinx. Sarah is a master hypnotist, a level three practitioner of Dolores Cannon's QHHT and a student of Dr. Brian Weiss. With a passion to reveal hidden and undiscovered knowledge vital to the enlightenment of humanity, Sarah continues to speak about her work worldwide. Now, I was telling you, Sarah, like, th this hit me. I'm like, because Dolores Cannon, obviously, you cannot be in these communities and not know who Dolores Cannon is. Uh, 
Atlantis and the Sphinx. I just love those topics. Uh, I'm uh, uh, I'm in the mythology and mysticism and, and ancient cultures and history. So this just absolutely love it. But then the Brian Weiss thing. The Brian Weiss thing is the one thing that gets me. I was telling you the little story about my bracelet and uh, the Brian Weiss book, Many Lives, Many Masters, how it changed my life. Um, so when I saw that about you, I was like, oh, goodness, this is going to be a great conversation. How are you? And welcome to Conversations on the Fringe. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm great. Well, fantastic. And, and you know, you're a hypnotist. Maybe you can explain to everybody a little bit about what that really means. Because well, I'm kind of like, what does that really mean? <laughs> well, basically, the type of hypnosis that I do now is that I regress my client and bring them to the very deepest level of trance. And then while they're in the very deepest level, I ask to speak with their subconscious. Basically, you could call the subconscious the soul, the oversoul, <clears throat> the higher self. And in that way, I can find out anything that the client wants to know about themselves and they can even heal their body. But really when you're tapping into that subconscious, you're tapping into universal consciousness. So it's so exciting because you can find out anything. I mean, you can find out the secrets of the universe if you want to. And that's what I like to do. I like to work with different people and find out all this information and share it because it's so important. But I wasn't into this stuff before. I mean, I'm not, I don't have the same type of background. I wasn't into spirituality or anything like that. I came from the other side of the fence. And I think that's what makes me so different is that I wanted to be a traditional psychologist. That's what I went to school for. <laughs> I really believed in all of the stuff I was learning. I thought I'm gonna save the world. I'm gonna help all these people. And as soon as I got into the actual field, I felt as if every single thing I had learned was a complete lie because I saw the treatment of these people in this halfway house that I worked in. And these people were like tested on by the pharmaceutical companies and they would wear these bracelets because the pharmaceutical companies would test different medications on them, like all the experimental ones. And if they were to die or have any severe problem, we were to call the number. And I thought this was, I mean, I thought I was gonna, going to help people, but there were no success stories. So I realized that that mainstream way of helping people for me wasn't the answer. I really wanted to do something that really got to the root cause, the root issue of the problem, not just medicate people and just push them aside. And so that's how I found hypnosis. And so you went through the classical process of becoming a trained uh, hypnotherapist. And yes. you're saying basically, I think kind of like what a hypnotist does is they help someone enter or they can urge someone, influence someone to enter various different brain states. And there's got to be like this intermediary oh, yes. state that just we right. become very, very receptive in, right? More of like a delta right. or a theta state. Is, is that kind of what's going on? Oh, definitely. Because the type of um, brainwaves that we're using right now in this conversation is different than the ones that we bring as a hypnotist, we bring a client into, we bring them into like the alpha state where their mind is relaxed, because basically what happens in a hypnotherapy uh, session is that their mind is relaxed and it's not even a lot. It's amazing what happens when you 
bring a person down a level. There's so much information within power within each person and it's right below the surface. There's so much knowledge that everybody has, but we're so unaware of it because our minds are so busy. And it's amazing what happens when you just quiet your mind just a little bit. I mean, you can notice this when you wake up in the morning and you still have access to your dream in that state, that's the theta state. That's a state you go in when you're doing these really deep regressions, you go into that state. So in the morning, when you still have access to your dream, that's a great time to reprogram your own mind if you wanted to, mm. just say some suggestions to yourself. And then when you wake up all the way, you realize, oh, I forgot the dream because you weren't fully awake in that state. So it's so, quite easy. Well, yeah, and this is interesting because we're talking about dream. I, I love dream thoughts. Um, I love meditation. I love hypnagogmia. So um, I, I've been, I, I, I don't want to say blessed, but I've, I've gained the ability over multiple years, decades of meditation to enter trans-like states. Um, and what I consider them are really kind of what you're doing. You're going into this alpha state and then you start to fall in the hypnagogmia, which is pre-delta. And mm -hmm. if you can stay consciously aware during that fall or transition, you know, the, why they call it falling asleep, because it feels like your consciousness is rescinding backwards. And if you can stay consciously aware during that process and not get scared by the autonomous nervous system taking over, um, you can come into this bodily state, which is incredibly, um, it's scary as hell for people if you've never been in it before. Your body is in complete vibration, it's humming. You have a very, very loud noise. It's your body's tingling like you, uh, your foot went to sleep. Your whole body feels like that. You can't move, you're not breathing, but your body's breathing, but you can't sense it. Um, and you have this urge to jump out of your body. I haven't done this in a very, very long time. Um, we, we think that there's something going on in our attic or house. We don't know what's going on. Um, Two different times. The other night was just two nights ago. Um, the time before this is about a month ago. We had uh, we have an attic, and the only entrance to the attic is like a um, one and a half or two foot by two foot square um, panel that's on the ceiling of my son's room, right? And you go up into the attic, and all the uh, the vent shafts in are closed, so no animals can get in there. Um, and a few weeks ago, he heard knocking, like pounds, on the ceiling. And he came in three o'clock in the morning, like, I, I don't know what that is, but I'm not sleeping in there. And, you know, I, I reassured him. I got up there in a ladder. I checked it out with a, with a 45 <laughs> pistol in my hand. I, I'm not taking any chances, right? And right. there was nothing up there. And I was like, co I contacted my brother, who's a contractor, and he deals with remodels, rebuilds. He knows houses inside and out. I said, if there's a heat discrepancy between the attic and the downstairs, the downstairs is cooler, the attic is hot, could that produce an upward pressure to put push uh, to uh, cause this pounding or anything? He goes, no. Well, oh, and the next day, the panel was popped up. Wow. So the panel that goes up there was popped up, and it's on a ceiling. My son's wow. 10. Yeah, my son's 10. I'm like, hey, could that pressure have popped that up? He goes, no, not a chance in hell. I'm like, oh, okay. So the other night, uh, I got to bed late, like 3 a.m., and all of a sudden, my, my wife was still up, all of a sudden, we all heard boom, 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 boom oh. on the ceiling. And my, all of a sudden, you hear my the son's door open. <laughs> Mom, Dad. I'm like, come on in here, buddy. It's okay. And I went to check it out. And when I walked in the room, I mean, 
I, I had uh, the, the scary jitters. Every hair on my body was just standing up. Had no idea what it was um, to this day. But so oh, the you next still don't day. Know? Oh, I'm so curious. Well, I, I'm curious too. It's not. It's obviously not a raccoon or an animal. It's way too high up. That'd be the third story of a house. Um, no bird can make that pounding. That's like me, a grown man, sitting up there above my son's room and pounding on the uh, the ceiling. Was it just one day, incident? Well, this is the, this was the second incident of its kind, and we've had multiple incidences in this house of something similar, right? Um, so that next day, I came down, and before my show, I took a nap. Because I was up to like four in the morning, you know, hanging out with my son, making sure he wasn't scared. We're convincing him it's a raccoon in his in the ceiling, oh, no. and and so I didn't get much sleep. So the next day I took a nap, and I came down here, right here, and I was taking a nap. This chair reclines all the way back, and um, I was having a dream. It was a cool dream. All of a sudden, it was like um, there's like someone over top of me, and they were trying to like like get inside me. And I wake up and I'm in sleep paralysis. So I'm in that hypnagogic state and everything's humming and buzzing. And I'm trying to Mm -hmm. lunge forward. And and like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever realize, but you have to gasp for air. Mm -hmm. Because your autonomous nervous system is still going. Oh my goodness. It scared the living daylights out of me. But then I got out of it and I realized that what was really happening there was I was trying to wake myself up, right? That it was more of my, my spiritual inside trying to the wake me up to get me up to get me out of my body because i hadn't been doing these meditations for a very long time um it, it was kind of a spiritual reflection that i had on that but whatever was going on in my my son's room this was crazy because 10 minutes before it happened i was thinking about the moment it happened before and i was like man this would night would really really suck if that thing started pounding on the ceiling again all of a sudden it started pounding on the ceiling wow. and you know the one commonality is me so every house i've lived in has been haunted or has had some type of spiritual activity from objects really? moving around the house, objects disappearing, um, whatever it might be every single time. And my wife says, it's me. She says that they just, if it's somebody they're following you, if it's nobody, it's you. So who do you know. think it is or, or what do you think it is? So this goes back to that aspect of relationship we were talking about before the show. Right. Um, and, and I know we started this with hypno hypnotism, but, um, with the aspect of relationship, I think that we have, uh, we're multi-dimensional beings. We're, we're multi-universal beings. Is that we're interconnected through multiple variations of consciousness. And we're attached to many different things through many different timelines and many different cycles. Um, so I think that there's things that we latch onto that we carry with us, as well as I think we have innate psychic abilities that are stored deep down inside ourselves. And when we begin to have emotional experiences in our lives and those start to express out physically, mentally, spiritually, especially after they've had multiple, um, a lot of time to build up after a long time, you begin to have these types of events occur. Um, this was one of the rational, re- ra- yeah, the rationale behind uh, poltergeist type events is that the poltergeist right. type events typically happen in houses where you have massive trauma, massive stress, and high emotional outrage that's pent up for a very, very long time. And that these could just be interactions with those people and their environment. Mm -hmm. And one way that they're expelling all that psychic energy out into the world is by causing these paranormal events to actually occur. 
And it's interesting how you said we're multidimensional. And that is so true because sometimes I'll have clients that come to me and they're so afraid. I mean, they're, they're terrified because they feel as if they've been abducted by UFOs and, you know, they'll describe the whole experience just like everybody else does. You know, they'll experience this bright light that shines on them and then they're frozen, completely frozen. They can't even move their eyes side to side. And then this light takes them into the ship and they go and, you know, they're usually on a cold table and beings are communicating with them telepathically. And what's so fascinating is I started as I would regress them and talk to them every single one would either realize it was either their family that was taking them to see if they were okay or it was themselves mm -hmm. taking them because they were um it was their soul but in a different dimension coming to see how they were and sometimes different type of activity in your house is you in a different mm -hmm. form coming to check on you or sometimes your signs are you like um, watching you from a different part of you in a different part or different realm, already fully advanced you coming to check on you. And it's so wild. There's just, there's no time. There's nothing is um, finite. We're everything. We're everywhere. It's quite fascinating. It is fascinating. And I love how that you've never been involved in any of this stuff, but you kind of came to these conclusions through the process of discovering the introduction into hypnosis. Um, I've only been, so I've, I've, I've been in front of like stage hypnotists and stuff like that and never been hypnotized. Um, just, I, I got a two of a tentative of a mind and I, I feel I have too much control over it. I went and did a life between life Hypnosis, hypnosis session. So you got Dr. Brian Weiss on one side and then you got Dr. Michael Newton on the other. Do you know the story of Dr. Michael Newton? I don't know his story, but I know what he does and I think he's fantastic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, the same time that Brian Weiss was doing his investigation in the Many Lives, Many Masters in the past lives, Dr. Mike Newton was doing the same exact thing as a clinical hypnotherapist. And he started realizing that people had innate traumas that we couldn't find a source for in this lifetime. And so he decided, Let, let's take them back to past lives. And he took them back to past lives and he would mitigate that trauma through those past lives. And then one day it occurred to him, well, I wonder what happens between those lives. I wonder if we can get that person to talk about that. Right. And so he started taking people to the point of death in their last life. And he says, okay, now explain to me what happened going through a tunnel, very, very small, narrow. There's a pinpoint of light. I pop through the light. There's family meeting me. Um, and then you're going into this, what they would consider a, a crystal city, a city of white clouds, uh, of white light. And what was interesting is after 20,000 case studies of taking people in between lives, he had a 92.5% accuracy in the description of the place that they all went. These are 20,000 people who never knew each other, never interacted with each other, never under, never knew exactly what he was doing or the details of any of his other hypnosis sessions. But instead, these people had a 92.5% accuracy of where they went after death that matched yeah. uh, just unbelievable. So that's how I write my books. I take a group of people that have never met one another that don't know what mm -hmm. I'm working on. And I'll ask them basically the same thing. 
just so I can see if it's valid or not. And if it's not, then I don't use it. But all the mm. stuff in my book is has been tested on multiple people. But that's how I got into past life regression. I started out because I was so new to spirituality. I started out just doing um, lose weight, quit smoking, and past life regression because it was part of the package to become a master hypnotist. So I thought, well, I'll just do that. But it didn't take me long to realize that there was something about past life regression that actually worked. And when I was doing the lose weight and quit smoking, sometimes it took a long time, but people could come in for just one um, past life regression session and literally heal themselves because they got to the root uh, cause of their issue and they would heal themselves right away. And so I realized that that actually worked and it can help people on so many different levels, help people heal trauma, help people heal their body. It's just amazing. Emotional issues. It's I think it's a conspiracy. <laughs> hear me out here. Hear me yeah, out. Yeah, no, probably because it well, works. Well, that's the thing. And I think that we're naturally able to do exist in that state. I, I don't think that there ever was supposed to be this separation from the subconscious mind, from the spiritual God mm -hmm. self or whatever you want to call it. Um, if you look at every species on this planet that is sentient, their brain waves resonate with that of its natural surroundings. It's in harmony with its natural surroundings, which right. if we want to look at this, this would be the Schumann resonance, which is between the ionosphere and the ground of the earth, 7.85 Hertz to a peaking about 14.5 Hertz. And every species on the planet exists in an active conscious state between those two frequencies. And that's known as the alpha state. Okay, except for human beings. Human beings exist at about 16, the 17, the 18 in the beta state. And it's a, a, it's a dissonant state. And so I, I started thinking about this. I said, this is a conspiracy. Why would every other species on this planet exist in the harmonic state of the planet in this alpha brainwave state? But us, there's <laughs> gotta be something interfering with our brainwaves, because when we quiet everything down, we get rid of the electronic devices, the electromagnetic energy goes away. All of a sudden we're naturally, do you ever notice like when you're trying to do something and you need to get into that flow state, the flow state would be that mm -hmm. alpha state. You have to close the doors. I, I got, I, I have a, a shooter. So I, I've been shooting guns for a very, very long time. I taught small arms in the military, but I, I take my shooting earmuffs, my shooting muffs, and I put them on noise canceling um, muffs and I close all the doors and I kind of just relax and then I go to work because within like five minutes, it's three hours later and you're just like, whoa, I got everything done. I needed to get done. That was amazing. And you enter that alpha state. And what you have to do though, is you have to cancel out all of your environment because there's something in our environment that's distracting us. I call this the big conspiracy. There's a conspiracy about the black crystal pyramid up in Alaska that's resonating a wave out there that's basically suppressing human consciousness and keeping us in this beta state instead of the alpha state. Um, don't know the truth in that one, but who knows? You I'm know, gonna ask. Without... I didn't know about that, but I'll ask. Oh, you didn't know about that? That was an interesting, um, there was a few things that came out in the 1990s. Um, there were some declassified documents that came out talking only bits and pieces about it, but apparently there was this... Um, Chinese nuclear test up in the Arctic Circle. And the United States knew that China was gonna do it, so they took seismic activity of the area around the Chinese nuclear test to detect when they were gonna do it, because it was an underground test. 
And when they did it, the seismic meters came back and registered a pyramid under the ground three times the size of the Great Pyramid, but it was upside down. And they apparently went and uncovered it. It was a black pyramid, and it's resonating uh, a massive electromagnetic frequency. Um, that's one thing. Then there's... Um, well, man, there's, there's tons of stuff that we could go into in the sense of this. But David Icke, I've interviewed David Icke many times, um, and he thinks that there's a frequency being um, amplified out of Saturn's rings, that aliens created some technology, they transmit it from Saturn's rings, bounce it off the moon onto the planet, and this is what keeps us in this slave matrix. Um, I don't know. You know, that actually I, kind of makes sense. I've never heard that, but I don't research other people's stuff at all. I get all my information from my own clients. So mm -hmm. I haven't heard that before, but it makes sense. Basically what my clients have said is when um, the ET cedar beings or the creator beings came to this planet this time around, because, you know, it's happened so many times that when they were seeding this planet of a uh, fear virus snuck in when we first started seeding this planet in Antarctica, because according to a lot of people under hypnosis, Antarctica was the first um, place where they started this experiment. Mm -hmm. And this fear virus snuck in. And what that did was attracted different um, sort of like negative uh, feeding um, entities that are attracted to that fear virus. And it wasn't supposed to have that fear virus on this planet. This planet wasn't supposed to be one with the fear virus, but since this fear virus did attach itself to the planet, it's something that as a collective, we've been working a lot to expel, to shake off a layer of this fear. And it's part of the ascension process. Interesting. Well, talk a little bit more about that. So what, what would you consider the fear virus? How, how do you explain it? What, what would this be? Is it physiological? Oh, is it psychic? Is know. it spiritual? Is it an energy? Is it just I would um, say, innate trauma? I would say that, well, it could be innate trauma, but I would say that um, people describe it as an energy, kind of like a force. And mm -hmm. what it does is it um, sort of attracts a certain type of being to this planet that wouldn't normally be attracted to this planet. And basically it, it feel, feeds off of fear. So it's almost like a shark in the water when there's like a fish that's sending off a vibration, it's dying, it sends this vibration in the water. That's the same thing that happens when a person or humans in fear is kind of like food for this, mm. this energy, if that makes sense, as people have described it. Um, but there's also clients have described this galactic federation of beings that patrol this planet because it is so important because this is the experiment and this planet is about to or it is in the process of descending you know so um i feel as if we're heavily monitored and watched that could be a really good possibility now what you said there about the fear virus about this this thing that feeds off of negation off of hate off of sorrow off of pain um, the Gnostics have, uh, the Gnostics are kind of like uh, pre-Christian Christians, Coptic sciences pulled out of Egypt, first, second century, took the teachings uh, of Jesus and, well, took the teachings of, of Christism or, or uh, Christ consciousness and evolved it. And then they had a big war with the Hermeticist and uh, anyway, Christianity was formed out of it and left the Gnostics to their own thing, but the Gnostics talked about something very, very similar. 
Um, you have the Demiurge, obviously, which is the mass creative force, but then you also have these beings that exist in, like, the way they describe it is almost like an interdimensional um, connection to Earth to where they cannot come here and influence you directly. They can't move you physically. That's what my clients but, have said, too. They can't come here physically, but they can control through other yeah. beings. They can assert their control, like in the government, if they find a certain being that wants the same thing that they do. Is that what you mean, the same thing? That's right. They can find somebody who's receptive to their frequency or vibration, and right. they can influence them um, in, in many various different ways, whether it's through the promotion of magic, um, you know, doing things for them, making things happen, or whether it's just being that little voice in their head that guides them, giving them assurances, or, um, you know, syncophants, like many different types of uh, mystic beings and creatures are actually these archons that we're talking about here that, mm -hmm. the, the, that the Gnostics talked about. And these were things that were on a very, very interdimensional level that couldn't naturally physically come here, although I think now they, can, they actually can. And I can get, uh, I, I've talked about that before in the sense of the blood types and what are the reasons for the blood. But um, that's what they do is they resonate with, with who we are, with our DNA and everything that is. So if you think of the human being as kind of like this electromagnetic fractal antenna that's resonating frequency, and that means that our blood as well is like this physical connection between the spiritual and the physical that's resonating. These things can latch on to those resonant frequencies, usually in the dissonant range, and begin to influence people through... Um, you know, through their mind and everything like that, by playing mind games, by hauntings, paranormal, these types of things are all involved in this. Um, and it, for me, it, it's been shown that it's very, very real because when you're in the harmonic resonance or variation of consciousness, you have the other side of it, what you're talking about, okay. these various different beings that can influence you in benefit, beneficial ways in massive mm -hmm. ways that help your life. And they don't ask for anything in return. They, they only ask that you have gratitude for existence and gratitude for consciousness and gratitude mm -hmm. for other conscious beings. And, and they help to influence you in certain ways. So we have both of these on varying different levels of frequency. But uh, I, I think that that is, is more so what's happening right now with the world is that it's being influenced by very, very dark and evil forces, which maybe in their dimension, that's just food. That's just how they, they eat and survive. It's not evil or unnatural for them. But for us, it's, it's not, very parasitic. Exactly. That's exactly what I hear too, which is so, it's so fascinating to me to hear you say things that I've heard my clients say under hypnosis, yeah. which is really interesting. But they have said that too, that um, it's not evil from where they come from because that's normal where they come from. But another thing that I've heard from multiple clients who don't know one another, who, you know, many, many clients, is that this earth is in the process of ascending. So mm -hmm. right now what you see is like a big show because it's just a play for control, but they're losing desperately because this earth planet is following along a trajectory of other earth planets. There are many, many earth planets on many different dimensions that are on the same trajectory. And basically there's a lot of light wave frequency hitting this planet right now, coming up through the center from the middle earth and and also from the central sun. And basically as this light hits this planet and change the frequency of this planet, this planet will no longer be able to, these negative beings will not be able to have any control whatsoever because the planet 
will lift up in its frequency. So everybody else that kind of resonates with that frequency will move up, so to speak, on the ladder. So it's not much longer. I mean, they won't tell me how it's going to happen because they don't want to ruin our surprise. But I hear it all the time that this is really exciting. Um, something else I was going to say, I'll remember it in a second, but well, let's talk. Uh, yeah, huh? Well, we can come back, but I, I want to talk about this ascension thing. So, my research has taken me on a massive journey, and I, I got in with like starting with the sacred sciences and understanding um, sacred geometry, sacred symbology, and understanding really. For, one of my gifts is I can um, I, I understand how relationships develop and how communication occurs, which means that I can more readily adapt to the perspective and mentality of the people that I'm communicating with, which means that most people, I, I use this, 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 this verbology that kind of explain this. Um, I can never know Sarah. I can't be inside Sarah's heads. I can't think Sarah's thoughts. I can't experience the, Sarah's emotions or thoughts or anything like that. But what me and Sarah explain to each other, we communicate to each other, those things bounce off of something with inside me. And they begin to resonate with those things at their various levels of development within myself. So if I know myself to various different degrees, when I interact with you, those things will resonate with the various different levels of how I know myself, which makes me want to know myself more because now I can know other people way better, right? And so I've made it a life mission to go out there at Ipsum Tainosis, right? To know myself because it helps me know other people. So one of the things that I've learned from this process is the ability to not get in people's heads, but to really draw in their perspective from how I'm resonating with them, right? To really that. know and understand that person that I'm communicating with just by feeling how I'm resonating with myself, right? But when I started to think about this ascension process and what's really happening here, I started researching kind of like the ancient traditions and I tried to get into the heads of the shamans, of the priests, of what maybe they were thinking. You'd read a book and you try to get into the author's heads. You try to resonate with the words the author's writing very much similar to you having a conversation with them and you're trying to communicate with them. And what I would find is I could pull out their interpretation and understanding and perspective. And you have to utilize cultural norms and, and, and you have to go back. If it's a book written in the 15th century, you have to understand in the 15th century, the way things were, the way society operated to really grasp what that book is trying to tell you. And so when we start getting into ancient stories like the Enuma Elish, the Sumerian texts and all these things, we have to understand culture 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 years ago or even more. And we have to get into the minds of the authors. We have to understand what they were meaning by gods and goddesses, everything like that. Well, I've broken this down over 20 years. And one thing that I discovered is they all had a, um, an obsession with the stars. And not only an obsession, but their calendars were all dictated by the movement of stellar objects or they, they basically took their philosophy, their ideology, their dogma, and brought it down the ground and anthropomorphized it into a religion. So anthropomorphication of the stars 
into a religious deity or entity or something of that nature, right? This is the creation of astrotheology. Well, I started looking at the various parallels, the different gods and goddesses, and I started noticing some other things. That the, the calendars were in sync, but there's a lot of problems with the calendars. But more importantly, that they all talked about a grand calendar in a grand calendar year, the 26,500 processional cycle, right? And I started looking at this processional cycle. I started thinking, and above, so below. I'm a hermeticist. And I realized that we go through seasons here because of the 23.5 degree angle tilt of the Earth to the sun. Wait, I lost sound. Hold on, say that again. We have a 23.5 degree tilt of the Earth. And this is what gives us. No, we can't hear you. Let's see if anybody else can hear I've been having some great problems. Let's see if uh, let's all right, can you guys hear me out there? Let me bring up Zoom. Reconnect audio. I wonder if it's my... Oh, I can hear you now. I can hear you now. It's a little fuzzy. I could hear you for a second, and then it was fuzzy. I wonder if it's my speaker. I can hear you. I can hear you now. It comes and goes. talking about they'll they'll all my audience knows who i'm talking about but i was talking about the grand calendar and the processional cycle and what i noticed is is that the earth has a seasonal cycle each season is broken down into a quaternary cycle and when we start looking at this everything in in the universe has these various different cycles so i said well what about our transit of our solar system around the galaxy? Shouldn't that have a seasonal cycle? Shouldn't there be points of, of winter, spring, fall, and winter? And I started looking back at this, and I realized that we're transiting the galaxy. And kind of the way we transit the galaxy is the galaxy, you have Sagittarius A and B, which are two black holes that have a discretion disk that comes out parallel to their center. Okay, and so this is like a horizontal line that goes across the center of the galaxy. Now, what's interesting about that horizontal line, that discretion disk, is it's gravitationally strong, which means it's stronger than all of the other points outside of the discretion disk. This is why things circulate around the spiral galaxy this way and concentrate in the center. Okay, and I said, well, aren't we moving past up and down past that galactic center? as we transition that 320 million year cycle around the galaxy, that we go up and we come down, we go up and we come down. And just so happens that within our processional cycles, we go up and we come down. Now this helps explain the ascension process after I realized what was actually happening. So basically what happens is 
we go up through these positions of high gra- of high gravitational influence in the center of the galaxy, which means that the discretion disk is going to accumulate massive amounts of gases, charged particles, elements, and stuff like that. So when our solar system transits this, we're going to have more cosmic ray bombardment here within our solar system. As well, that produces a lot of different electromagnetic and various other types of frequency interruptions. Okay, when we come out of that, we have less impedance of them. 2014, Dr. Martin Blank did a study. This is a peer-reviewed study published out there. And what he found is that your DNA is an electromagnetic transducer and fractal antenna. This means that it sends and receives signals, okay, at the microwave bandwidth, 34.2 gigahertz, which just happens to be the first band of 5G. Um, which also happens to be the same as the peak frequency here on Earth of the cosmic microwave background radiation, which permeates all of the universe. And I started thinking, I said, well, if we have this frequency that basically we're receptive to, that our DNA is picking up, that permeates the whole universe, well, what happens when we go through this this high-density period of the galaxy? That means we're impeded from that frequency a little bit. This is where we digress as a civilization. And this is where we enter dark ages and 8,000 years of kind of confusion and amnesia. When we come out of these periods, though, it all begins to turn around. We begin to increase that frequency zone once again. Our increase, uh, we, we remove the impedance, and now we become more and more receptive to this frequency, and we been, begin to evolve within our DNA because our DNA is very, very receptive to this frequency, and our DNA begins to expand, evolve, and exist at a higher level of consciousness, incre- increasing its frequency to a new higher octave. And so this is something that I've, I've realized and I've discovered and I've written down and I've, I've researched this heavily. And science actually helps validate this, which is kind of crazy and cool. But right now we're in winter. And so if our positioning right now where we are in the galaxy, if you wanted to call it a day of our year, it's December 24th. Wow. Which means that we're about to go into that period of rebirth, resurrection. And now I mean, think it makes about sense. All- of course, yeah. of course, everything is moving in cycles. Of course, everything is the same. The earth is just, it represents us. So it makes sense. It totally makes sense that yep. this is why all this stuff is happening right now. Absolutely. And guys, I want to, I want to make sure my audio is good. I know uh, some people were saying distortion and stuff like that. I'm going to try to go back here and get my mic. I, I don't know what's going on. I might have to just try the other microphone and see if that works. Can you, can you hear me now? My, my voice is moving. Can you hear I me can now? hear you now. I can hear you very okay, well. Good. It looks like it's fixed now. All right. And sometimes it goes to like this, uh, this robot voice. Like I, I was messing with everybody yesterday. I went, I went to this robot voice and they're all like, what's going on here? Right. And I'm like, no, no, that's just me. Don't worry about it. Where I can, like, I can go to the loudspeaker, right? And we can talk like that. Anyways. Oh, that's awesome. I want one of those. <laughs> well, it's not working very good because it keeps on cutting out on the mic, but hey, whatever. It's cool. But okay. So maybe I it's your you little talk. poltergeist. You know, maybe. <laughs> well, you want to know what I honestly think that is, is I think it's, um, I think it's a repression of psychic energy. I, I really do. I think it's massive repression of psychic energy. Um, I, I've had this when I grew up. My brothers all had it happen to them. Um, they all, none, most of them don't have it happening to them now. Um, but for me, like if I want to talk to someone who's passed, oh, I can just, I can do it. 
Like I, I'll be driving down the street wishing my dad was there. I look at the side of me and I'll see him sitting in the, the, the passenger seat and be like, what's up, man? You know, you start talking to me and I, wow. but you know, it's, it's in your mind. It's like, it's an experience you're having in your mind, but it's really in physicality, but it's nothing really happening in physicality, but it's happening in your mind. And, um, you get the information you want because you're just in tune and in touch with your uh, subconscious mind and your subconscious mind is interconnected mm -hmm. to the web of the universe. You know, um, a lot of my clients, when they're deep under hypnosis and they're asking for advice, their subconscious or their higher self will say, well, one thing that, you know, will help you so much is to go outside with unfiltered eyesight, like no glasses, no contacts or anything, just early in the morning. And um, what happens, the subconscious was saying, was that the light will go through your eyes into your pineal gland. And basically, mm -hmm. it stimulates all these dormant um possibilities that a human possesses all their power centers like you can all of a sudden become psychic whatever your intention is that you want to do basically there's so many different things that can wake up in a person sometimes you can even heal yourself just by doing this you know in the morning every day it's such a powerful tool that people aren't really it's not talked about it's interesting too because my guest two weeks ago nathan waltz um and uh his guest they were talking about quantum health and this is what Nathan does every day. He gets up with the sun, goes down with, you know, goes to bed at sunset or a few hours after, but he wakes up every morning with the sun and he goes out there and he strips down and basks in the sun and gets everything inside the sun, including his eyes. Um, and, and the light is truly miraculous. Uh, the, the gentleman that I told you about this, um, he introduced me to people that I'd never heard of before, breath Aryans, sun Aryans, people who mm -hmm. live off of nothing but breath and air and have done so for 30, 40 years. They don't have water. They don't have food. They only go out, wake up at sunrise. They go outside. They get their breakfast by peering into the sun in the morning and doing this breathing exercise. I believe it. I had this one client who uh, wanted to lose 60 pounds and her subconscious said, oh, it's because you wear contacts outside. Take your contacts out just for a little bit so the unfiltered sunlight goes and hits your pineal gland. You'll lose all the weight really fast. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. And nobody talks about it. There's so many different tricks that the subconscious tells people. Like go outside without shoes, you know, soak in the great energy yeah. from, you know, in your feet. will It'll just go right through your body. And there's so many different things like drink lots of unfiltered water. I mean, they always say the same thing, basically. Meditate, you know, go in nature. It's amazing all the things that can help you heal. And it's so simple. It was, it's interesting you said the drink water thing. I remember uh, this story I was told about this, uh, this lady who lost a lot of weight. She lost like 200 pounds. Um, and she went to the, the, just her regular family practitioner. And she, she wanted some drugs or medicine to help her lose the weight because it was just so difficult. She's tried every diet that she possibly can. And the doctor told her, look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to not change your diet. Just continue eating everything that you're eating. But I want you to do two things differently. I want you to take a walk every day for at least 15 minutes. And then I'm gonna write you this prescription and you're not gonna fill it, but what's gonna happen is every time that you're hungry and it's not a meal time, just do what this prescription says. And so she did exactly what the doctor said and she went through and lost um, like 150 pounds. I mean, she, was, she went down to like 110, 115 pounds. 
And uh, someone asked her, he said, uh, what, what was on the, the prescription? And it says, when you're hungry, it, if you are hungry right now, drink water. <laughs> That's all it said. If you're hungry right now, drink water. And so every time that she got hungry and it was in between a meal, she just drank water. And then she'd go for her walk. Drink water, go for the walk. Drink water, go for the walk. And she lost all the weight because when you allow your body to naturally process all the toxins. So most of the time with us, with unhealthy living, and I think you know this as well, is that we have massive toxicity buildup that our mm -hmm. microbiome aren't able to basically get rid of their exhaust, uh, their crap out of our bodies because our bodies are clogged up and clogged up. And so mm -hmm. what happens is we get backed up and our bodies start reacting to this backup and we get sick, we get ill, we get fat, we get you know, you know, brain fog and all these other things. And what happens is, is when you walk, your lymphatic system is like a hydraulic pump. It starts pumping and it can start moving that stuff out. You start drinking that water, clean, fresh spring water, right? Filtered or whatever, but not that tap stuff, not the bottled water, but you start drinking the water and it starts moving the lymphatic fluid because 85% of your lymphatic fluid is water. So those two in combination just completely cause it to happen. And, you know, it's so interesting because I wish that people knew that the body was just a messenger. I mean, nobody ever tells children, look, your body is just a messenger. And if you have an illness or an issue, it's literally there to help you. It's just communicating with you. And what you're supposed to do is get the message. So, mm -hmm. I mean, this is just an example. I had this one client and she came in because her right shoulder was injured and she had just started this cleaning job. So she couldn't use her right shoulder and she desperately needed some help, you know, because that's what she used to clean. So I regressed her and I took her down and I asked her subconscious, what's the very root cause of this shoulder injury? And her subconscious said, oh, we gave her that shoulder injury. And so of course I said, why would you do that? You know, she just started this job. Why would you give her this shoulder injury? And they said, because she's not supposed to do this cleaning job. She mm -hmm. said, when she comes into this lifetime to give her a clear sign if she gets off her path really badly. And this is her sign. She's not supposed to do that cleaning job. She's supposed to be a singer. Everybody she knows is in a band. You know, she has roommates that are in a band. She literally could go outside right now and start fulfilling her purpose. She's supposed to sing and that's, you know, her voice is very healing. When people hear it, it will trigger some healing within themselves. And that's what she wants to do. That's what she came here to do. That's her purpose. So we're not going to heal it unless, you know, she follows her purpose. So I asked a bunch of questions, you know, what exactly does she need to do? And they gave very specific, detailed instructions. And then I asked, okay, well, now she got the message. Can you release and heal the shoulder? And they said, yes, but she has to follow through with everything. So she came out and she said, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Her shoulder, you know, was healed because that's how easy people can heal these days once you get the message. Wow. So she came out, shoulder was healed. And then literally a month later, I saw her in a sling. And she said, well, I was scared. I was scared to go start doing you know the singing because I, did, I was worried I wouldn't make enough money and I was like listen to your recording that's what you're supposed to do and she said you know now I have to get surgery on this shoulder so I saw her two months after that and both arms were in slings because you have to listen to the message or it's yeah. never going to go away. I mean, sometimes people will have different issues that are literally so literal according to what's going on with their body. 
And I've seen so many people heal so many different things instantly once they got the message and it fully integrated and they understood what they needed to do. So if people just understood that it was just a message, they could heal themselves a lot quicker. Yeah. Uh, now talk to me about Dolores Cannon's QHHT and kind of how you came across Dolores and her work. Well, I was doing um, Dr. Brian Weiss's work for a long time and I really enjoyed it. And that's when I started to get into spirituality because all the um, past lives that I was facilitating just changed my mindset so much. I started learning so much about this world and I started to realize that everything I had been taught was a lie, literally. And I started this new um, journey, so to speak. But I felt like there was something missing in my life. So I, I talked to a psychic and it was so funny because the psychic said, Sarah, this is the easiest reading I've ever done. She said, most people have very different future potentials and it could go this way or this way or this way. But for you, there's just literally one big future potential. You're supposed to do Dolores Cannon's uh, quantum healing hypnosis technique. Hmm. You're going to get really good at it. You're going to be speaking about it all over the world and you're going to be writing books and speaking about them. And then after that psychic session, I thought, well, what a bummer, you know, she must've gotten me confused with somebody else because I would never be speaking about things, teaching things, writing books. I thought, oh my gosh, maybe she got me confused with the session right before and she was still picking up on that person's energy. So anyway, I looked into Dolores Cannon because I had never heard of her before. And once I found her method and just looked into a little bit, it clicked with me so well. And I started going down that path and I took her class and I, I did get really good at it. I got so good that I actually taught with her daughter all around the world before mm. the quarantine. I taught in Egypt, Machu Picchu, Miami, and, um, and then I wrote books and I've been speaking at conferences all over the world. <laughs> so I wrote that psychic and told her she was very good. Her name's Emma McIntosh, in case you're wondering. Huh. That, that's pretty cool. I've, um, I, I'm the type of guy that likes to go visit psychics and do readings on them while they're trying to read me and they're wrong. Um, but that's just me. But there are some amazing ones out there. We've had a few of them on this show that were just very, very good psychics. Um, well, obviously, she was very good. Oh, no, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, now, with Dolores Cannon, so what? what is QHHT and how does it work? And kind of what's the, the basic premise and idea behind it? Okay, so QHHT stands for Quantum Healing Hypnosis Technique. And basically, that's the method that she developed after 45 years of research. And it's sort of like a past life regression, but it's different. A regular past life regression, you just regress the client, you take them to a past life and you find out how that correlates to their current life. But in a QHHT session, you regress the client, but then you take them down deeper and then you ask to speak with their subconscious. That's basically what makes it different because it's basically like a very deep journey inwards. You're just focusing deeply inwards. That's all hypnosis is, is deep focus concentration anyway. So you're focusing in on yourself. And in that way, you can learn anything you want to about yourself. And you can find out who you really are and you can even heal your body. And when people find out who they really are, it's so interesting to me. I love the... 
I love the expression a client has after they come out of a session, because it's one thing to tell somebody, you know, you're eternal, you're super powerful. You've lived, you know, multiple lives all over the universe. It's another thing to actually experience that for yourself. But all these higher consciousness that come through my clients always say the same thing, that we're all part of this ancient grouping of beings. Like that's who we really are. We're all part of this really powerful ancient group that travels from planet to planet to see what the next and the next will bring. We evolve ourselves in one, on one planet usually, or have multiple, you know, multiple experiences at one time, but our soul right now is having this one experience. And then when we're done with this planet, we travel to a different planet and then we let this planet, you know, recover, go to this other planet, then sometimes come back to a planet. And really we're eternal. We're just here for these experiences. You can never harm a soul. You're going to be fine when you go to the other side. You just forget this, you know, when you're in this life. Well, so that's an interesting idea. So what would you say to someone who's afraid or fearful of death? Well, you know, it's just sort of like changing trains. There's really nothing to be afraid of. But of course, people can be afraid because many people remember the pain of death. You know, it's it can be painful, but usually just for a split second. Most people don't have much pain at all when they're actually physically dying. In fact, usually it's quite blissful. And that's interesting because I've uh, read multiple different studies on people who've... Um... Who've, who've passed or um, were in the process of passing came back. And um, most of them it, that have passed and came back describe that no matter how much pain they were in, that their body basically puts them in this, this state of euphoria where they really yeah. do see their whole life flash before their eyes and all this stuff. They, they, um, and maybe that's a mechanism of the mind or the physiological aspect of the body, or maybe it's just the, the soul separating from the body and it's euphoric in its context. I don't know. There's a special energy that apparently you feel that clients describe when you're actually dying. It It's like this very exciting, thrilling energy, almost like you're super, super excited. Every part of your body is excited. And then there's this feeling of euphoria and a huge feeling of oneness where you feel so much love. It's a physical human can't experience that. They would just start crying. They can't experience that amount of love. But for the soul, when it separates from the body, they can. And it's just complete bliss. I had something. That's spiritual healing. What? I, I oh no, you turned into an alien. I can't hear you. What oh, I, turned, well, I think that was my voice. Uh, can you hear me better now? It sounds a little distorted. Okay, it sounds, it sounds distorted. So, it, I, I don't, you know, it must be this microphone. I'm going to have to send this one back. And, and it should come back on here in a second. Okay, what about that? What about that? I can't hear you. Should be able to hear me I can hear you now. Okay. So what I was saying is that I've had this experience before. Um, you, uh, well, it, it was so overwhelming that I just couldn't stop. And um, the story's pretty interesting. Uh, we're going up the Breck. I live in Colorado, 
and we were going up on the summer. This was June 10th or June 11th. We were going up that summer to Breckenridge, uh, me and my wife, to kind of go look at some properties. And uh, the night before, we had massive thunderstorms rolling through Colorado, and Colorado has some pretty crazy thunderstorms. And I'm outside, and this is like the storm's moving in, but it's still daylight and blue skies right here, and the clouds are moving in. And I'm watching the storm, and I noticed the, the feeling, right? You're feeling, at one point in time, you're feeling just kind of like uh, the, the balance, right, of the blue skies and the air. And then you feel the cold air come in, which really is the heat being drawn out of the low pressure, and it's being drawn into the high pressure. So it's the, the, the high pressure system comes in and pulls, or sorry, the cold pressure system comes in and pulls all that heat out of the air. That's why it gets cold before a storm happens. And that's why the winds come in the opposite direction. And I start feeling all this. And I'm like, I'm visually acuitive of what is happening. So I'm watching, like I'm, I'm visualizing in my mind the winds being pulled up, the, the water, the moisture, the ionized particles because it's hot air, right? And it's going into thunderclouds. And I'm watching this, and all of a sudden I start hearing thunder occur in this cloud and heat lightning occurring back in this cloud. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, it's going to break soon. And eventually you see a lightning flash, big flash. It strikes near probably a few miles away. You hear the thunder, and all of a sudden the rain starts dropping. And I realized what had happened there is that basically we were looking at an electrical system is you have all this pent up electrical energy occurring as this hot moisture, these ionized particles rise up and form into this cloud. And this is why you got the heat lightning going on back and forth because basically you have energy discharging. But what's happening is you have this other system below it and it's almost like a capacitor. You have this line that exists between the ground and the cloud to where there's a difference in potential. You have massive electrical charge up here in the clouds and you have no electrical charge down here because it just got all pulled up. So you have this capacitance that builds up at this one point. And then what happens is you see that flash of light. That's that capacitance breaking down and that capacitor discharging, which is the lightning going to the ground. And right when that happened, the reservoir of all the electrical energy releases the rain. Because the rain is hydrostatic and being held in there by the electricity. And I see all this and I go, that's the human emotion. That, that's how our emotional systems in our bodies work. It, is that we draw in from our environment all these various and ambient different emotions. And we can store them in our body as like electrical energy, very much like that cloud. But if we don't have these emotional releases in our body, that capacitance is never broken. We'll never let that emotion out. We'll never let it rain right? Tears. we we'll never let it rain. And I was going through things, some things in my life the next day. And I said, and so that day I said, I, w- I want to have an event like that. I need one of those emotional events. The next day I go out, I go to Breckenridge, I get food poisoning, like no. massive food poisoning, like 12 hours in front of the toilet, um, vomiting, dry heaving, um, turn pal white. And I'm like, take me to the hospital. I go to the hospital. I couldn't speak. I was in shock, shaking. And uh, the nurses are laughing at me. Anyways, they get me back there. They get me on saline. They give me some medicine. um, And I start sleeping because I'm finally not vomiting. And I go into these hypnagogic states. I just keep on falling in and out of consciousness, in and out of consciousness, in and out of consciousness. And I'm sitting there. And my wife is in and out of the room coming and going. You ruined our vacation. How dare you? Oh, no. 
And uh, all of a sudden, I'm in a hospital. My grandmother had passed away a few months before. And all of a sudden, I, I open my eyes, but I'm in the room, but I'm not in the room. So kind of like maybe out of the body, um, just mm-hmm. very, very hazy. Um, and there's an old lady that walks in the room. And she grabs my hand. She goes, hi, Joshua. And like you, like, you sound like my grandma. She goes, I'm not your grandma. And I said, okay. She goes, she goes, I'm the person at this hospital that helps people pass. And I go, oh, no. She goes, no, no, no. I just mess with you. Not you. But there's nobody here dying, so I thought I'd come visit you. And, like, you can't make this stuff up, right? Like, I'm not that funny. And so I'm like, oh, okay. And so she starts showing me different forms of herself. And I start seeing younger her, older her. And it starts being all these women that I've had relationships in my life, interacted with in my life, just not like physical relationships like that, but just people I've interacted with. Someone who said like a, uh, something smart ass to me or someone who gave me a good piece of advice or an old lady that wanted to, to point me in the right direction in life. And all of a sudden she started manifesting and showing me all these versions of her. She goes, they're all me, Joshua. And she goes, right now what you need to do is you need to let it go. And I go, let what go? And then my dad walked in. My dad had passed away many years before. And she goes, you have to just let it go. And uh, all of a sudden, they di- she goes, we'll, be ba- we'll talk soon, right? And she disappeared. And all of a sudden, I'm like, boom, wide awake. And I sit up in the hospital bed, and I just start crying. It just starts pouring out. And everything just, I mean, like just rivers Probably well, also for an you hour. Had food poisoning, so you were purging yeah. already physically. Yeah, it, for an hour, just crying. Ah, my wife's like, I can't talk. I can't. I couldn't speak. I was crying so much, and all of a sudden, it just stopped. And I go, I'm ready to go home. And I felt wow. amazing, absolutely amazing. Had a few more experiences with that lady as well, and it, it actually goes back to this break. It, it it's all freaking interconnected. It's crazy, but just absolutely amazing experience in my life. But, but this was kind of like a, um, I, I don't want to call it self-hypnosis, but I, I think we have this uncanny ability to do certain things to ourselves and put ourselves in certain situations to where these things in our life can manifest. Very similar to what you were talking about with your client there. Oh, definitely. I think the universe is always trying to help us let things go or communicate different things with us in many different ways, always trying to help us remember something we need to remember. Yeah. You know, um, another thing is I've been to a psychic before and actually studied under a psychic before. Her name was Marie Claire. Um, I think she's still around. So world renowned psychic Marie Claire. And uh, she was, she was, I say, I hope she's still around because she was pretty old when I was uh, getting sessions from her. But uh, we were in Alexandria, Virginia, um, Old Town Alexandria. If you know that area, all the buildings were built in the 16, early 16, late 17, or early 17, late 1600s. Um, you have like Thomas Jefferson's house there. George Washington had a house there. Uh, ben Franklin, um, Thomas Paine, all these people had houses in this area. Um, and there is a little spiritual shop out there called, I believe it's called Sacred, Sacred, uh, Sacred Circle Gifts uh, Bookstore. I actually went and visited them last time I was back there. And um, she used to visit there all the time. 
And the building that they're in is like built in 1710, 1712, incredibly old. And uh, she invited us, all of her students out to come and do a session at this building. And uh, we were, she was going to teach us how to become psychic. And so she takes us upstairs and we kind of do all these various things starting about 7 p.m. Well, it started to get dark. It's like 11 p.m. And she starts talking about past lives and how to encounter your past lives because most of us were psychic or intuitive or had these various different skill sets as we uh, in, in various past lives. And it's good to go out there and remember those past lives. And so she had created an initiation technique of this very, very old house, which she claimed had massive spiritual roots, was interconnected through time. And what we did is we had to walk into the closet in this pitch dark room, okay? In this house that was built in like 1710, you had to walk into this room alone, the door would close behind you, completely pitch dark, and you'd walk into the closet and there's a candle inside the closet. And you have to close the closet door. There's a candle inside the closet. And you hold the candle in your hand and you close your eyes with focused intent and you say, I want to see my, my former self in a past life. And you blow the candle out and you open your eyes. Hmm. And I walked in there and I blew the candle out and I opened my eyes and there's a, um, a shamanic Egyptian priest standing in front of me and speaking to me in a language I never heard, and, and, but I understand it. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I'd never learned so much in such a short amount of time because you begin freaking out like this is this is <laughs> just it was very similar to that experience with the old lady. You're in this hypnagogic state, but you're experiencing this this being this entity, which is you, which is mm-hmm. communicating with you this information. Right. Um, and, and it's interesting, too, because. You remember everything of that life. And I don't mm-hmm. even know how to tell people that is that you you know that person intimately. Right. Like you remember right. everything. Like you you know what that person knew. It's crazy. That's why I that's why I write these books is so that people could heal themselves without having to actually remember. Because mm. when you read a book like one of my books or even hear other people's memories from these lifetimes, it triggers this memory within themselves. So they don't have to go through the actual process of past life regression. They can just read something like that and release that trauma because there's so many people that are experiencing this trauma. So many people back on the planet today that remember Atlantis or Lemuria or one of those time periods, you know, where there was so much trauma and they're all back again right now here, just like you said, like where you, um, the universe and different beings are trying to help you remember certain things because we're being bombarded with what's happening right now with the memories of Atlantis and Lemuria. So it's helping us release this trauma now. And that's a lot. one of the reasons why a lot of us are back again, going through this all again. I, I agree with that as well. You know, so I, I do another series. We're on hiatus right now. We're trying to fill it with guests. Um, and it's called the Mars Chronicles. And so uh, my good friend, David Whitehead, uh, who is a co-host on the Unslaved series with uh, Michael Tessarian, he hosts DW Truth Warrior Channel, he's got his own great shows as well. Um, he's been on Ancient Aliens, good dude. But uh, we were talking one night during like an impromptu uh, podcast on a Saturday night. Like, let's go live. Okay, let's go live. Let's do it, right? And uh, towards the end of the show, I said, you know, it's like we almost didn't evolve on this planet. He goes, well, what do you mean? 
I go, we're the only species on this planet that cannot look directly into the sun. Look at any animal, any insect on a bright sunny day. Their eyes aren't affected by the sun, except for humans. We have to wear sunglasses, we have to wear hats. I actually asked an eye doctor this one time. She goes, well, it's because we invented hats. I asked an evolutionary biologist one time. He goes, well, it's because most Caucasian um, um, species, subspecies, evolved within the deep, dark forest. I said, okay, great. So then we'd expect to look into the deep, dark forest and find animals that haven't adapted their eyes to the sun. Nope, not the case. Every single one of them have adapted their skin and eyes and forebrow directly to the radiation of our sun, except for us. So it was almost like we're not from this planet. And so this is actually ties into the Lumeria Atlantis story in the sense of the context, because I told him, I'm like, well, you know, there's this story of the Enuma Elish, which comes from the Sumerian script. Now, the story is very, very cryptic and vague, and it talks about this goddess by the name of Tiamat and how Tiamat um, lost her, her, um, her husband, Absu. Absu was killed and murdered, and it caused a great battle to ensue. The battle ensued with the people of, uh, of Iridu, the people of Iridu. They call it the city of Iridu, but it's the people of Iridu. Um, and the people of Iridu were led by a leader by the name of Marduk. Marduk happens to be the son of Enki, which is one of the Sumerian um, prima gods. And so Marduk ends up, they, they go back and forth in battle. Tiamat attacks them as a dragon in the sky, um, raining down her thorns of fire onto the city of Iridu. And then Marduk splits her in half and she rains her salty waters upon the earth. Now, a guy out there, uh, an actual classically trained contemporary religious professor by the name of Dr. Joseph Farrell came out and wrote a book about this, which I didn't know about until after the fact, uh, when I first started researching this. And he said that Tiamat was a planet. In our yeah, I've heard system. it was a planet. Mm-hmm. That Tiamat was a planet that existed between Earth and Jupiter and that mm-hmm. Mars and our current moon were moons of that planet. And that mm-hmm. Earth got into a war with that planet and destroyed the planet by splitting it in half. And the planet was filled with salt water, which eventually when a planet blows up, it's going to blow up in this direction. You're going to have the asteroid belt. And where's the other side? Where's the other side of that explosion of that planet? Well, we've been running into it for 66 million years, and this is why civilizations come and go and can not stay longer than 20,000-year cycles on this planet because we kept on running into this asteroid field of this destroyed planet for all these millennia, for aeons. That's so interesting. Um, Until just very recently, the last time that it happened was 10,500 years ago, and it appears that that asteroid belt is now all but depleted. So this is what they talk about with Nibiru, the the 3,200-year cycle of us going into that transitory zone of Nibiru's closing in on the planet. This is the remnants of an old planet. Zachariah Stitchin's mistranslation, the remnants of an old planet, of a giant planet, the ninth planet, whatever you want to call it. And so um, I actually did my Life Between Life hypnosis session before I knew any of this, before I studied that mythology. And uh, it's too long for here, but 
let's just say that a lot of that was confirmed and that many of us who perished on that planet came here. That many of the souls that, that were lost on that planet came here to help these people. And a lot of the, the people on that planet that did survive came to this planet. And they basically annihilated each other and had to restart civilization after running through all these, these meteoroids and asteroids for all these years. And the salt water rained down, the comets rained down onto the planet and eventually filled the oceans and created the saltwater oceans. This used to be a freshwater planet. Oh, it's so interesting. Oh, I've never heard it like that. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I like it. I yeah, it's crazy stuff. Um, so tell me a little bit about Atlantis and a little bit of your experience with your clients and Atlantis. And maybe give the, the listeners an idea of your conceptualization of what Atlantis is, what it was, how it perished, and, and kind of what it really means today. Well, you know, the way I got into learning about Atlantis was by accident because I needed a hypnosis subject to regress and then film them to take this film to this class that I was taking when I was just starting out, when I was becoming um, a level three practitioner. Mm -hmm. And so I asked one of my friends that I had known for a little over 10 years if she would be my hypnosis subject. And what was so interesting was I mean, I had so many clients at that point in time, but I wanted to get somebody that wouldn't pay me because I was going to use this video submission. And I wanted it to be somebody that, you know, really didn't care that much that they would just let me do it and take it to the class. So for some reason, I just thought to ask my friend, Jen, and I knew that she was not into any of this stuff because she was a teacher at the school and I was really good friends with her for over 10 years before I had asked her to be a subject. Um, and she was very scientific. She did not really believe in past life regression. <laughs> I mean, just the fact that I asked her instead of one of my clients or somebody else, just I, I often think about like, why did I ask her? It's really fascinating. But the universe works in mysterious ways, you know. But I knew for sure that she had never heard about any of this stuff before. She thought Atlantis was a mythical place mm -hmm. because we talked about this kind of stuff after her first session. So her first session, she when I regressed her, she went back to this lifetime in Lemuria, where she was a princess in this place called Lemuria, although she called this island Amon. And so she remembered the lifestyle. She, I mean, the details that she could remember were fascinating. And she had never heard about this place. It was in the South Pacific. Um, it, it encompassed, like, it was, it was humongous. It was from, it spanned maybe from uh, South America all the way. To, I mean, it covered even the Easter Islands. The Easter Islands are still where this place was. Um, and it was a beautiful society full of compassionate people. People just were so beautiful the way she described them. Um, and she knew so many things. I mean, so many details. So they used the flower of life symbol as like a key that would un unlock different codes within your mind. I mean, this is a person that didn't know any of this stuff before we hmm. started working together. So anyway, um, she realized that there were these visitors that started coming to her island 
and they were very highly advanced. They would wear these special suits and they were after some type of immunity because there was this very deadly virus on this uh, civilization where they came from. Anyway, they were, this virus was so deadly, it was killing a lot of people. And so they were looking for the immunity that these Lemurians had because they had the special immunity that was given to them from the star people, apparently. So the Lemurians could not give these Atlanteans, these were the Atlanteans, this immunity because it was something that was a gift. So the Atlanteans took uh, this princess as a prisoner where she lived 60 years in an Atlantis prison and they destroyed Lemuria. And they used these atomic-like devices that they set off in rifts under the ocean that created mm -hmm. these massive tidal waves and it basically sunk the entire continent because this was very high-tech technology. Um, so Jen, my subject, my friend, was completely blown away after her first session because she thought these places were mythical places. I mean, that's what really helped validate this information is because not only did she not believe it at all beforehand, she had never heard about these places before. Um, and her subconscious, when I asked to speak with her subconscious said that that was her mission in this life. Well, both of our mission was to uncover all this very valuable information for everyone to know and to share it with the world. So mm -hmm. We started uncovering it all and it was just mind blowing. It was stuff neither one of us had heard before. And it was such powerful information. So we I put it to, we put it together in books. My book is called A Hypnotist's Journey to Atlantis and hers is called Child of the Universe. And I've just been sharing this information all over the world. It's quite fascinating. Um, but basically what happened, and this is before the quarantine. Mm -hmm. We didn't even know about, can I say whatever I want to on this show? We didn't even know. So we're on YouTube. So be okay. YouTube friendly with the verbology when talking about the VAX or yeah, okay. the V-A-C-C-I-N-E um, or okay. virus or anything like that. Well, this was in Atlantis and there was a virus. So am I allowed to say that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, that's fine. But before, even before this virus, they had been experimenting with um, splicing human DNA and animal DNA. And they, um, you know, had many different genetic experiments with that. Oh, I forgot to mention that Jen, when I asked her if she would be my subject, was shocked because she said she had been looking for something like this because she had a brain condition called sumo, tu sumo tumor cerebri. And basically she was working really carefully with specialists at the University of Miami. And they said, there's no cure for this. And then she might have 20 more years left to live. And it was causing severe strokes, but she was so secretive about it. She hadn't told anybody. She had just recently found out and they put her on this heavy duty medication and she was just suffering so badly with this medication. I mean, I had no idea and I was her friend that she was suffering with this condition. So she said, yes, definitely. She wanted to, you know, volunteer. After our first session, she was healed. And she went back to her team of specialists and they said it was a medical miracle, but really it wasn't. It was just, she found out the message and right. instantly healed herself, which really 
healing can be so simple as that. But um, so we uncovered all this information. And like I said, basically, there were a lot of experiments. And one major experiment was the BAX that they had in mm -hmm. Atlantis. And it was a mandatory BAX, which they mm. gave to everybody. Sounds familiar. And at first, it seemed like it was a huge success. I've heard this story. Everybody before. was happy. It looked like this was a huge success until these babies started being born with these terrible side effects. And they were born with this, like, animal parts and different issues that were so horrific. And then after those babies started growing up, they started, some of them became violent because there was so um, much just people were discriminating against them because they, first of all, they looked very different and they weren't fitting into the regular Atlantean society. So it was, they thought that they would move them to an island. Well, basically they were killing them. They weren't really moving them anywhere. They were just killing them. But eventually they found out that these beings are these hybrids because they were human but they just had animal parts, had abilities. They could read certain crystals. They could tap into ley lines. And these, these um, abilities are still flowing lightly throughout our genes. I mean, some people- it sounds can like still... autism. Well, this or is where it gets really fascinating. This is where it gets really fascinating. History repeats itself until we mm -hmm. learn the lesson. And the thing about these, these um these hybrids in Atlantis, like I said, they had abilities. Well, if you look at the savants and autism, these are also abilities. I mean, a lot of teachers will tell you that some of their um, really nonverbal autistic students can speak telepathically to one another. Or the savants, you know, they obviously have special abilities. And the same thing was happening in Atlantis with the um, side effects from the VAX. So everything in the universe has a divine purpose as well. <laughs> so um, it's just something to keep in mind as we go move into the future. Um, yes. Um, I'm trying well, to I'm glad we're on the same page about that topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard topic to talk about these days. You never know which way people are going to go. But like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, never mind. I don't, I don't need to talk well, about that. But oh I'll... my gosh. Well, I have this really interesting thing to say about that because. Well, do tell. Of course, after, after that, I was definitely swayed in one direction, I would say, you know, because here I see all this stuff happening and this is before, this is before I published my book in December, 2020. I started getting this information way before the VAX. So when it started coming around again, Jen and I were just like, oh my gosh, history is repeating itself. It was scary <laughs> at first, but the higher consciousness just kept saying, no, this is a good thing because history evolves in cycles. So it doesn't evolve mm -hmm. in a straight line. The fact that we're back here again is great because everybody can make their own choices and we're doing things differently this time. That this is okay. It's okay. But anyway, I had one woman come in for a session because she was devastated that her daughter got the VAX. Mm -hmm. She thought, how can she, um, you know, uh, have a relationship with her daughter? She didn't know what to do because wow. this was so devastating for her. And her higher consciousness, her subconscious said, 
well, you guys have two different belief systems. Therefore, you have two different um, realities. So for your daughter, this was very beneficial for her. She was supposed to do it. She knew that she was supposed to do that. And it will lead to great things for her. Sometimes these side effects can have beneficial, they can be beneficial. Agreed. And also um, some higher consciousness can use it to the client's benefit. But my client also, so I also asked, well, is my client wrong about everything she believes about the VAX? And her higher consciousness said, no, they just have two separate realities. And I thought that was so fascinating. Mm, that is fascinating. So they literally could have different belief systems, but both be right, which is really interesting. I didn't know that was possible, but more and more I started to learn that literally that can be true. It's just like the Mandela effect, you know, where <laughs> you can you have a can of worms. two different realities but literally be correct in your own reality and ets sometimes when they come through a client they'll say that you know the, uh, a timeline kind of looks like a like a graph and you can have one timeline over here and one literally over here and they're totally different but people okay. can live in totally different realities you ready for the red pill <laughs> all right yeah so this is another topic that we've talked about. We've had people who are like experts on the Mandela effect. A lot of people has, think it has to do with CERN, which is interesting because CERN was turned on this week and there's right. a lot of weird shit happening this week. So, and I, I forgot what we were talking about. There's like, you know, um, various people stepping down. The Georgia Guidestones, the next day after CERN was shut down, the Georgia, Georgia Guidestones are struck by lightning, for goodness sake. Like, whoa, what is going on? This is, this is odd. So um, I've been dying to ask one of my hypnosis subjects. I've been on vacation. I haven't been able to ask. Do you know anything yeah. about this? So, well, depends on what source you go from. Some people are saying directed energy weapon or drone. Um, when I look at it, you see the, the illumination of the light in the background. The light in the background gets incredibly bright and then dims out again. That's a buildup of massive electromagnetic potential. I have a degree in electrical engineering. And that happens before a lightning strike, typically to electrical devices, because you'll have a, a ambient electric pressure being built up on the ground level rising. So the lightning doesn't actually come to the ground. It meets in the middle. And so lightning rises from the ground and drops from the sky and they meet in the middle. Right. And then what that does is when that exhausts, it blows up the ground. So kind of crazy. But uh, so I, I do believe that it was a lightning um, I worked in weapons and missile control systems, explosives in the military. Um, if that was a directed energy weapon or a drone strike, that thing would be annihilated. We don't have anything that can only do a little damage. And that's what it did. It did a little bit of damage to the concrete. So it was definitely lightning, but with a Mandela effect. I started looking into this, and I kind of went into my higher self and asked myself. And by the way, guys, we are in overtime, which is cool. I like overtime. That's what happens when conversations get good. But um, I started asking my higher self about the Mandela effect because I had experienced it multiple times. Like um, I'm trying to remember which ones that it was, but there, there's some that I'm just so, oh, the Berenstein, Berenstein birds. Berenstein. Yeah. My favorite freaking thing in the world growing up. Trust me. Teddy Ruxpin and the Berenstein birds. Okay. Not real. What? What are you talking about? I go and grab one of my books. I'm like, oh my God, it changed, right? Um, I had an experience last year. And so... I've lived at this house for probably eight years now. And every winter and every summer, I know where my stars are. 
I have a, a massive Celestron telescope. I'm an avid stargazer. Every night I look at the stars. I know where the stars rise. I know where they set. I know where my elliptic is. I understand these things. Me and my, me and my former friend were outside, and Orion, instead of coming up over my neighbor's house, which is right here, uh, it would have came up right here over this house right here, it came up in the opposite side over here. And I go, whoa, whoa, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. And the Big Dipper was also traversed, and everything was basically the elliptic, instead of moving this way, is now moving this way. And I'm like, this, this isn't right. This isn't right. So I start freaking out. I even published, we have a private social network, a little over like 7,000, 8,000 people. And so I posted it on there like five in the morning. I'm like, this is nuts. This is crazy, right? So then all of a sudden, the next day, I see this TikTok video about, did you grow up believing that Earth was on the outskirts of the Milky Way galaxy, that we existed in the country of the Milky Way galaxy, that we were on the outer edge of the Milky Way galaxy. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, everybody knew this. And they start showing videos of Carl Sagan talking about how we live out here, or a little blue dot out here in the edge of the Milky Way galaxy. Well, unfortunately, that's not true. We actually live, which would be considered the Sagittarius arm, the outskirts. We live in the Orion arm in the middle of the galaxy. And I said, no, we don't. And I started looking it up. That's what science says. And I said, this, this isn't right. This isn't right. And all of a sudden, the stars change, right? And I'm like, this is fucked up, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm freaking out. So I start to rationalize and reason. Now, one thing that I understand is that we create our own reality. And Thank I understand you. a lot about how the universe operates and the fundamental processes of how the universe operates in relation to us as we interact with it. And so if we are conscious beings trying to influence our reality to manifest a certain destiny, that reality has to basically attribute for the trillions upon trillions of conscious beings within its existence. Now, it can't necessarily change the entire structure of the universe instantaneously every moment of every day for every conscious being that's creating their own reality. That's just absurdity. So we'd have to imagine how a universe as complex as this and how conscious beings, trillions upon trillions of the powers, would be able to influence their own reality, all get the same benefit, all have the reality created for them in this universe of multitude. And then I figured it out. My dad uh, passed away in 2015, and I started having nightmares after my father passed away. And one of them was is uh, my father driving in a car and me watching from the back seat, and then him slamming down the brakes and flying through the windshield. Hmm. And then he would wake up in his bed, <gasps> right? And he'd wake up in his bed, and it happened over and over again. What I didn't know is that when I was younger, about four years old, that actually happened to my father. And so I didn't even know that. I was actually on this show talking to my brother and telling him about my dream. And he goes, dude, you didn't know that dad got into a car accident, flew through the windshield, and almost died? Wow. And I said, no. And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, I, I did not know that. But what my dad showed me in that vision was that he died and woke up in his bed. And I started thinking. I said, well, what if when we actually all die, what if we get to the age like 99 and you finally pass away, and you pass away, and all of a sudden you wake up in your bed and you're 25 again? Oh! <gasps> Oh my God, that was a nightmare, man. I just, I just lived a whole lifetime in that, in that dream. That was crazy. And you start living your life again. Or you die at you know, 36 and you wake up and you're 15 again. Right? Because now 
all of a sudden life doesn't end. It's just continuation and you have different variations of time in which you can interact. And so this mm-hmm. idea evolved and I started to see it that the universe, the fundamental principle of energy exchange works on this idea of the path of least resistance, which mm-hmm. means that the universe can only do things in the sense of the conservation of the energy of exhaustion. So if I'm sitting here going, I need $400 million in the mega ball, right? Mm-hmm. The universe is going, dude, I, I can't do that, right? So what the universe also does is it looks at variations in the multiverse. So if we're a frequency being and we're existing in this, this resonation of this universe right now, well, right next to us, one little notch to the right and to the left is another universe. And so the universe doesn't have to necessarily change this universe. That might actually exist just three steps to the right in the multiverse situation. But in that multiverse situation, what if things were just a little bit different in the conceptualization of the universe? And so I gave up, came up with this idea that the Mandela effect is actually completely normal, except people didn't start noticing it until we got the internet and interconnectivity and people started actually talking about it on the internet. And this actually was first recorded around 2010. The Mandela effect was first being talked about around 1998, first being recorded about 2010. But there's actually stories. I mean, think about this. Imagine being back in like 1922 and saying, man, you know, I remember the stars in the sky used to, no, no, Jim, they've always been that way. Oh, I just must be thinking it weird again, right? And there's just no way to correlate this. People have actually written about this, is that there's subtle, minute changes in time Mm -hmm. over your reality, which means Mm -hmm. that we're, we're basically transitioning between multiverses like mm-hmm. this of each multiverse is completely different. You know, there's a theory that we all died in 2012. What if we all did? Now we all exist in a different multiverse version of ourselves. And so really what the Mandela effect is, is just how reality evolves through the path of least resistance in the sense of the creation of our own reality and the universe trying to fulfill the trillions upon trillions of billions, beings, destinies within the multitude of multi- multiverses. I love it. That's awesome. And then there's Philip K. Dick. Have you ever heard of the science fiction writer Philip K. Dick? Mm-mm. Um, Man in the High Castle. There's a book out there, Man in the High Castle. It's an Amazon series as well, Man in the High Castle. Um, he's written tons of uh, sci-fi shows and thrillers. Man in the High Castle is about a guy who wakes up to the United States being half taken over by Nazis. They lost World War II. Um, and he finds out he's in an alternate reality. Um, and that he's trying to get back to his own reality. What's interesting is Philip K. Dick in 1978 did a, um, uh, was asked to speak and present to a group of theoretical physicists about the nature of reality. And they brought in a whole bunch of sharp minds, but Philip K. Dick was one of them. And he confessed during this time frame that, uh, well, let me tell you a little story because the book, The Man in the High Castle, is not a story of fiction, but instead my biography. That actually happened. That was me. And he goes, I want to tell you a little bit about the nature of reality. And people, in, he goes, people in the future will begin to understand what I'm saying as they understand what I'm about to say. And he goes on to explain that very similar to what we just talked about is that our reality has these minute course corrections or shifts, which changes the reality suddenly over time. And this comes about because of our interaction with reality. 
he, he claimed that the universe is a simulation, that we're living in a computer-generated virtual reality, and this thing is course-correcting as it's moving along. And he says one of the indications of this course-correction are these minute changes that happen over time. And if you looked back over that period of time, which people typically wouldn't remember and if people didn't record, you're going to see these massive changes in your environment, in your landscape, in people, in the skies, in the star positionings. You'll start seeing these changes occur. He was talking about Mandela effects in 1978, and he predicted so that they would happen the more and wow. more we understood that we lived in a simulation universe. Wow, I love it. Gosh, what's oh, yeah. his name again? It's pretty Philip, interesting. Philip K. Dick. Wow. Hm. Yep. Interesting. Fascinating. So I talked a lot, and I didn't want to talk a lot. I wanted to let you talk more. But feel free. You have the room. If you want, if there, Is there a topic you want to talk about? We are in overtime, so we're way, we're 15 minutes past the end of the show, and we're still live. That's fine. We can go a little bit longer if, if, you, if you're okay with that, but I want to talk about what you want to talk about. Oh, well, you know, I could talk about anything. I mean, basically, um, I talk a lot about Atlantis. I talk a lot about Lemuria. I talk a lot about different um, subjects like that. Uh, whatever you want to know, basically, I'll tell you anything I know. I only, like I said, I don't know other people's work. I only know my right. own stuff. Um, well, well, tell me some of the, tell me the, the most fascinating part that you've discovered in your journey and your work. What is the one thing from your, your, your indoctrinated college upper bachelor education, right? That you went through just this, this regular education that everybody else goes through and you come out to realize that, what, what the hell am I doing? I'm not being trained to help and heal people. But then you come into this whole other world of mystery, of intrigue. What are the most fascinating things that you've learned about yourself and about the world around you? Well, basically what you just said that we are the creators of our own reality. I mean, life is just a game. This game, especially on planet earth is one of the hardest. So if you wanted an easier lifetime, you could live on the Pleiades or something like mm -hmm. that. And, you know, it's very easy. You can create with your mind, it's, you know, instant manifestation. There's so many different things you can do, play instruments, just soak in the beauty and keep expanding your mind and you can even grow your mind. And there's so many different fascinating things you can do on other planets. But here, if you're going to live on planet earth and incarnate as a human, this is one of the hardest ones. You have to be a master, like a master level being to come and physically incarnate as a human. And I think people don't really understand like how powerful they are and they don't really give themselves credit for playing out this game on planet earth because this is like level three like the hardest level you know but really what i've learned over all these years is that life is just a game and it's not really that serious so we're just here for this experience and basically you can create your own reality in whatever way you want your reality to be just mm. by focusing on it and the more you focus on what you want from that reality you can get it and um like other et beings that have uh, come through my clients and explaining the nature of the human, how a new, uh, human energetically works. They'll say that humans are energetically set up to create through severe emotions and humans don't really understand that the power that they have just through their emotions because on other planets they don't have these emotions. But basically when a human's experiencing a severe emotion, 
what happens is it opens up a portal and it opens up portals of opportunity for that human. So, I mean, one way to instantly create and shift the physical reality that you're in is to experience a strong emotion or a strong feeling. And when you do that, a portal opens up for you and you just explain to the universe what it is that you want. And if you don't have resistance to it, it will manifest pretty quickly. But that's just mm. something that people can do because people are not taught these, these things, you know, in school. I think overall, I've learned that a lot of the suffering comes from just forgetting who we really are, but this is a game. So we forget because we're here to remember and nothing ever, like I said, nothing ever happens to your soul. You're just playing a game and then you go back and remember. And I've had so many countless, uh, I've done so many countless regressions where people describe these places the same. And so I know that I believe that, that they are real after going through so many, you know, where people describe them all the same, same details, same uh, um, description of the bliss or reuni reuniting with themselves, their soul family and stuff like that. Have you ever met anybody from your, what would you consider your soul family? Um, you know, I think I've met a lot. Sometimes I'll meet somebody just on the street <laughs> that I think, I've at least encountered before because the, there will be like this instant recognition, you know, I'll recognize them in some way. Um, but essentially we're all one anyway, you know, when we mm -hmm. go back, whenever, whenever I'm regressing somebody and they leave the physical body, they call themselves a we instantly. They're an I when they're in the physical meat suit they leave their body, they're a we all of a sudden. So essentially we're everybody we meet. So I developed a, um, a theory. It's called spaceship theory. And um, we've evolved this for a long time. And spaceship theory is basically this idea that um, our civilization perished a long time ago. There's less than 10,000 of us left. And we left our planet because it was basically destroyed. And we were put into a spaceship into cryogenic sleep and our consciousness uploaded into an artificial intelligence. And we're basically searching the universe, looking for a place to live. And our consciousness so is... You have a memory of this? Because a lot of people describe this when they remember being a gray alien. So, yeah, actually, I, I do. Um, I, I always have this memory of walking down these... Uh, these white stairs coming down like this, white walls. Um, there's military style people all wearing white um, uniforms. Um, and I'm one of the people coming down, talking with some other people coming down the stairs. And it's a ship because I was in the military as well. It, it, it's definitely a ship, but uh, always perceived it as a spaceship. Uh, but this is kind of one of the ideas and memories that have helped me develop this idea of, of uh, spaceship theory. But in spaceship theory is the artificial intelligence basically creates an artificial simulation reality for us. Um, and the first simulation realities didn't work out too well. And so it has to keep on building on top of that old reality, that old simulation, that old simulation. So you have, you know, you have Lumeria, you have Atlantis, you have the lower driest period, you have Sumeria, you have all the age of history up into the current point. And what they, the AI realized over thousands and thousands of years as us being stuck in the simulation is that we get bored with each other. 
And so it started creating NPCs, non-participatory characters, basically just empty shell artificial bots for us to interact with. And so this is why we have a population of 8 billion, but there's really 10,000 of us just walking around on this planet right now. And for some reason, we keep on running into each other and recognizing each other like, dude, I freaking know you. And it just seems like we're the only people that are directly, like it's been the story of my life. Like I go out there and I meet people and it's like, dude, I know you from somewhere. And they're like, I know you from somewhere. And next thing you know, we got bracelets. We're we're remembering past life of Roman soldiers together. And like, like, or we, we, so I I've told this multiple times and then we kind of started doing these sessions and I started telling people about um, one of the ways that I get into my trans like state is um, I I go into a, a meditation and I imagine myself Um, walking out of darkness into a wheat field with rolling hills and a willow tree in the background on the top of a small mound with blue skies with very, very few streaks of white clouds. And I'm walking through the wheat and I got my hands out on the long grass like this and I'm walking towards the willow tree and then I back up against the willow tree and that's when I I go into my hypnagogic trance-like states, right? Nice. And the willow tree was always something like this, this, this symbol. And so a whole bunch of people started counting me like, dude, you understand that I've had that same vision. Like you understand that I've been there. Like I, I know that place and they describe it exactly as I say it. And I'm like, whoa. And so there's a whole bunch of us that actually met here through this channel that have had that same experience. Wow. And it was almost like we planted the idea of the willow tree in the soul to remind us of our connections wow. as oh, a symbol of remembrance. Oh yeah. I am going to have to go or my son is going to kill me. No, no, it's I okay. Yeah, we, we are. <laughs> yeah, no worries. But uh, guys, we're going to go to Fringe After Dark. You got to give me 30 minutes. So we're going to go at the, the bottom of the hour, 10 p.m. Mountain Time, midnight Eastern Time, the Fringe After Dark, our subscription show. You can find that on socialredpill.com, socialredpill.com. Our guest tonight, Sarah Bresman Cosme. You can find her at theholistichypnotist.com. Thank you so much. I, I can't wait to have you back on. We're going to get you booked again. Much appreciated for you coming out tonight, Sarah. Thank you so much. It was great. Thank you. You take care. Everybody, you guys have a great night, and we'll see you again sometime.